0: John chapter 1 this morning, back to the passage that Pastor Steve read just a few minutes ago. Praise God for the music this morning. Uh, I wish in time all of you would rotate to the front row and then rotate back to where you're seated this morning just so you could hear what we get to hear Amen. every Sunday morning. It does sound different up here. Um, I've been trying to sit around different parts of the auditorium to get to know you a little bit better. I didn't do that this morning Um, because I needed to speak to Pastor Mike about a couple things, but uh, I've been seated where you are recently, and uh, it does sound different where you are. Not because some of you can't sing,
1: uh,
0: but all of you sing well. Uh, It just sounds different. This auditorium has probably the worst acoustics in any auditorium in human history. And, and that's, not a, that's not an exaggeration. I, I would say any musician, any speaker would tell you that. And in addition to that, um, since it's been rearranged in so many unique and fanciful ways, other than it was intended to be arranged, uh, it's very difficult to even work sound in this auditorium. Um, if you sit over where some of you are halfway back and against the walls, there's uh, dead spots where unless the preacher preaches loudly or the musician plays the same, it's kind of hard to hear. Uh, But anyways, nonetheless, uh, from my perspective, you were a great ministry to my heart this morning. Uh, And thank you for ministering to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Thank you for ministering to the Bear family uh, this week in um, extraordinary ways and I'll thank you ahead of time for your continued ministry to them um, and the loss of their wife and mom and daughter, sister. Um, Friday night was a profound evening in so many ways. But I would ask you to pray that uh, the seed of the gospel that was planted and for many people there watered, uh, God would give increase to that. It's not going to happen without prayer. Just appreciate the Bears for allowing us to participate. Um, Some funeral services are just like worship services. (laughs) There was something very worshipful about that hour together and the fellowship to follow. And thank you as a church family for being light to those who were able to be here that didn't know the Lord Jesus as they watched you love each other and uh, demonstrate the love of your Christ, our Jesus, uh, to one another. Thank you. I, there, we do have some missionaries there that I've, I've not yet met. I recognize your faces probably because of uh, the material that I've schooled myself with. But it is good to see you. It's uh, going to be nice to, to meet you uh, and spend some time with you today. Uh, we have a, another missionary couple joining us tonight. Uh, it's a surprise. He called me on Thursday and said, hey, we're in Ohio. We're going to be you know, traveling, apost- part, you're part of the state Sunday night, can we just stop in and say hi? And and he didn't have any idea that we were having all these missionary friends today. He says, so the Mackenzie's from Germany will be with us tonight. Um, I don't know that they're going to be giving uh, their full update uh, because of time constraints, but we'll at least let them open in prayer and close in prayer, and he can give you a few words of encouragement. So come on back tonight. I... I trust you'll carve out time uh, to do that, and we'll look forward to seeing everyone back. You know, we've had some—it's um, it's, it's been a light hurricane season, but the two that have hit the northern continent have been a little difficult. <laughs> um, Fiona was number one, and we have some missionaries in the northeast, uh, Nova Scotia particularly, uh, the Russes that are in need some situations in their church family and of course we have a lot of arch ministries sister churches along the western coast of florida and uh, we've been um, actively in discussions with these folks they're going to have some need and do have some immediate needs uh, we have some of our own folks in our own church that have houses on the west coast of florida and um I don't know exactly all the need that'll be there to try to help them, but they can let us know that. But uh, as far as these churches are concerned, uh, we just have um, we just have a need to open up uh, the Christmas offering a little bit earlier this year. Typically, we would take these needs and we'd put them in the Judea-Samaria section of our Christmas offering. For those of you who are guests, every year we have what we call an Acts one Christmas offering, Um, and we divide that offering up for funds going to our evangelistic outreach here in our own area which we would call our jerusalem and then we have funds that go out to judea and samaria those would be the regions beyond us in our country to take care of spiritual needs for the gospel's sake and then to the rest of the world the uttermost parts acts one says Uh, and that would be our folks in in foreign soil um, spreading the gospel in this year's Christmas offering, there would be these churches along the west coast and the northeast of Canada that we would put in there. But the need may be more is more immediate than waiting until December. So um, that Christmas offering, I guess, is declared open. There's no Christmas envelopes in your in your chair pockets. There's you can designate that. Pastor Steve will have that on the the drop down online, and you can designate that by uh, Christmas offering. Uh, we're getting these needs out to the whole. Um, whole network of sister churches uh, in Arch Ministries uh, as well. So just wanted to let you know that, and we'll keep you updated as those needs uh, come. I have a very good friend of mine. I don't normally do this for those of you who are guests. Um, I haven't had a, a time of just sharing my heart in a few important matters in a long time. I seek not to do that again anytime soon, but I have a really good friend. His name is Pastor Rory Bond. He's in Indiana He pastors the church that my wife grew up in. He's having open-heart surgery tomorrow, and I believe it'll be a triple bypass. He's uh, 53 years old, and um, he's been a good friend of mine for over 30 years. And so if you would be pleased to pray for Rory, his wife, and his family, we would appreciate that. But certainly, uh, also add uh, the the Huang family. Uh, Karen, again, was in the hospital for a brief time this week and continues to have a few uh, post-surgery issues. Thank the Lord she seems to be doing better, and I know longs to be back in worship, but appreciate your prayer as well. Right. So let's ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word, and we're going to take this week and next to journey through these verses that Pastor Steve read a few minutes ago. Okay? Father, we need your help this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Govern our our minds, our thoughts, our meditations. Govern the words that are spoken from your sacred word today. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor Steve really did a masterful job um, preaching the prologue of this book last Sunday morning. I've heard a lot of messages on John chapter 1. I don't think I've heard one quite like that. That's worth you listening to again and again and again. I also appreciate his admonition to do with John what we did with the book of Job, and that was to to sit down and and read all the chapters, all the book in one sitting, highlighting the themes and and sub-themes of this book, This morning, we're going to continue with the next portion of this this particular uh, chapter in this this gospel. And this is John's account of the life of John the Baptist. And yes, they are two different people. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's a son of thunder. He's a fisherman. John the Baptist, well, he's the cousin of Jesus, And he's so much more than that. All four gospel writers tell us of John the Baptist. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as Pastor Steve explained last week, mainly say identical things about John the Baptist. And you can read those identical things in Matthew chapter 5 and Mark chapter 1 and (coughs) Luke chapter 3. Gospel writers are like reporters, uh, if you will. You can have someone from three different news sources give you all the details of a story as they unfolded, as they saw it, but yet you can tell they report on the same event while all write from different perspectives. And such is the case of the gospel writers in relationship to the life of John the Baptist. So the Apostle John just decides to give us one additional aspect And it has everything to do with his emphasis On reporting on the latter part of Jesus's life And ministry and proving that he is indeed the son of God And that believing in him You would have life through his name And in our introduction to the book of John we mentioned together that John was the last gospel writer in time fully aware of the previous three gospel writers' information about the Christ. And so he was able to add with wisdom that which he was influenced of the Spirit of God to add in relationship to what he felt to be necessary to be known by people about Christ. And so even the section that Pastor Steve read this morning is exclusive to the Apostle John in relationship to John the Baptist. The first mention of John's theme of the book that we addressed in the introduction of John, John chapter 20 and verse 31, is mentioned first by John the Baptist in our text that was read in verse 34. John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus, the one in whom the the dove had lit upon his shoulder, representation of the Holy Spirit, was indeed the Son of God. John decides to let us know that these events that he recounts for us happened in just three days. You may have noticed that when Pastor Steve read... And in this short time, unbelief is exposed in a pretty dramatic way. In the three other gospel accounts, John's preaching is direct and strong to be sure. He addresses unbelief as broods of vipers. He would say to them in Matthew's account, and I quote, "...do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones..." God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Only saving faith, John says, not faith in our fathers or their traditions can save you and change you. In our passage today, John addresses for the first time of some 90 times in his gospel unbelief with a name or a title he calls unbelief the Jews and he addresses and no other gospel writer does this the nationality of Jesus' own As the Jews but often and most often through his book he identifies those Jews with unbelief while some in our day would call this racist of the gospel writer to do this anyone who knows the heart with which John writes and the manner in which John the Baptist preaches they would know he calls them by their nationality because they are a nation that had almost fully embodied unbelief. He calls them by their nationality for no other reason than that. John felt when he wrote that this account would clarify more exactly the nature of their unbelief and the unbelief of Jesus' own countrymen, especially the leadership of Jewish unbelief. And thereby allowing others to more clearly see Jesus for who he really is and give them an opportunity to believe. Now, Luke's account gives us the, the history of this man named John the Baptist more thoroughly than any other account. Let's not forget that while Luke described for us the human conception of John the Baptist, he's prophetically mentioned first in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, which John the Baptist quotes of himself in the text that was read earlier. He's simply a voice that's calling. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. The Jews knew that there would be a voice before a Savior and certainly before a king. But their enamorment with a kingly ruler would overshadow their understanding of what they knew to be true about a voice that would proclaim a need for a savior first. So Luke tells us of the human origin of that voice that would preach to make straight the way of the Lord. Luke tells us that the announcement of his arrival, like Christ, would come by an angelic word, Journey over with me to Luke chapter 1 this morning. and uh, We'll highlight not everything about this text because this is also going to be my Christmas text this year. Specifically, um, Zachariah's pronouncement, Zachariah's song, Benedictus, if you will, uh, after he is allowed to speak again will be... Our text for Christmas, but we know from Luke chapter 1 that Zechariah was a faithful priest in the temple. So that we know that John the Baptist would have Levitical heritage. Both Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were faithful, but they were aged. Luke chapter 1 and verse 6 says they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly and all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So Gabriel, the text tells us a little bit later, appears to Zachariah after he enters the temple to worship on behalf of the people as the people stood outside to pray. And in the temple he sees and hears from the angel Gabriel who commends him for his faithfulness and then shares that Zachariah's prayers for a child to be born, if he and his wife, would be answered. Now, a lot's going on in Zachariah's head at this particular moment. Yes, he had prayed for a child, but he had resigned himself that that wasn't a possibility anymore because he and his wife were just, they were just old and like things had worn out and they just weren't running like they used to. But God had not forgotten the prayers of his righteous one. Just pause for a moment and think about that. Zechariah had probably stopped praying for that which he once prayed for. But God had not forgotten what he used to pray for. God can seek to answer any one of your prayers in his timing of his own will. And how gracious he is to do that. All of us could stand this morning and testify how God has recently answered a prayer of yours that you stopped praying for years ago. I think it's good for us to Remember that, because that certainly is one of the ways God answers prayer. He can say no for now. He can say no for now, but he's still good. Elizabeth and Zechariah knew he was good. Elizabeth, who was barren, was old, but she continued to serve faithfully, even in her distress. And what a great testimony that is to all of us. Because as the Bible explains, the, the most grievous thing that a woman can bear on earth is to be barren. And it's more painful than childbirth itself to the soul. When Gabriel announces to Zechariah, it comes on the authority from the throne room of God. And Zechariah just struggles to believe him. The angel announces because of Zechariah's doubt that he would be made mute. He would have been able to speak, and he was. He exited the temple, Luke chapter 1 says, and the people had heard of him and heard from him before going into the temple, and he now comes back out, and they recognize something special's happened inside the temple, that he'd had a vision. But he couldn't talk. So he immediately starts to make signs to the people so that they would understand. Elizabeth goes into seclusion for five months. Then Luke tells of the announcement of Jesus' birth. Luke recounts that Mary later visits Elizabeth, who's already six months pregnant. Mary's recently with child. These cousins would be born six months apart. Three months apart, excuse me. That's not good math. You do the math. It's fascinating because of what John says later in the text we'll deal with next week. Because John was born before Jesus, but then he proclaims, there's one coming after me who came before me. And that has everything to do with the timing of their physical birth, because that's a declaration from John of the nature, the eternal nature of who Jesus Christ is. Nonetheless, when Mary visits Elizabeth, and, and Mary's announced, which was formal in that custom to have a guest announced to a, to a home, little JB, little John the Baptist jumps. <laughs> right? Right? Leaps in Elizabeth's tummy. He's already bursting to be the voice that makes straight the path of the Savior. And yes, I had actually JB in my notes. (laughs) We do that with kids, right? All my kids had uh, nicknames by their initials. I'm not going to tell you what those were, but nonetheless. Later, there's a little discussion on who Should name the baby elizabeth is carrying Elizabeth insists it should be John because That was what gabriel said his name would be and Gabriel was God's messenger But it was customary especially in levitical priestly lines that if a woman was to have a child that would be a son that they would be named after their father So people were confused when they heard the baby's name would be John, and they kind of thought it was absurd. So when they asked Zechariah in time, near the time of John the Baptist's birth, he grabs a slate or a parchment, because he's still mute, and he writes, his name will be John. And that's when God opens his mouth. What a great blessing to all of us to remember as we struggle with simple matters of doubt and obedience with the Lord on some things. Let Zechariah's testimony of deciding by grace to say and to do the right thing, something that was so, to us, so simple, or should have been so simple for him to believe in the announcement that his prayers would be answered. And in his weakness, he doubted, and he was made mute. But now, by faith, he speaks in obedience to what God said John's name should be. His name will be John. Can I tell you what the name John means? This has everything to do with this biographical sketch of what we're doing this morning of John the Baptist. And it has everything to do with the life he would live and the message he would preach. The word John means graced by God. And in this time in history, if you were named John, you were not only considered a gift of God's grace, but you would dispositionally be known as a person of strength and kindness strength and kindness now when we hear those words strength and kindness we automatically think of the the biblical word meekness right but this is to be John's name he was graced by God to preach grace You know, from the announcement of his birth to come, we don't hear much about John the Baptist for 30 years. He's in the wilderness. Other gospel writers tell us he's like Jesus. He's just growing up and and relatively unknown in the first three decades of their lives. Now, we know that Jesus appears when he's 12 in the temple teaching. But other than that, We don't see him again until he's beginning the third decade of his life. John's living in the wilderness for 30 years. He's he's eating just two things, honey and locusts. That's it. He dressed in not-so-itchy and very comfortable camel's hair. Please don't think that if you can go and buy a Campbell's here blazer today in a men's store that it feels just like his did back in the day. And again, he's in the Judean desert where it's rarely hot and hardly ever sweaty. So he's a health food guy. Some would say maybe even vegan. I don't know if grasshoppers have protein or not, but... There's not much meat there. He's a health food guy, and he's well dressed. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the locusts were dipped in Godiva chocolates and then double dipped in honey. I don't know. But he lived that way for a really, really, really long time. He's just a nonconformist in every cultural way that he lived. And in time, he would preach a very unconventional message. The gospel writer tells us that God just told John the Baptist to start preaching, and he did. He knew what he should preach, he was very aware of who he was and what he was there to do, and he obeyed. And he had the success of God upon his lips thousands came to hear him preach many were born again and were baptized john the baptist would teach them what the fruit of of repentance were go over again to luke's gospel in the third chapter luke chapter three and let's let's kind of read as soon as someone gets born again how does their life change it's very interesting Now Luke's the only one that actually specified what the fruits of repentance post-conversion fruits of repentance were and I find it very interesting that we know that he preached repentance and faith and the announcement of Christ who would come, but he says here and the crowds were questioning him saying then what shall we do? And he would answer them the man who has two tunics is to share with him one who has none and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized that had been converted, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. If we get that message to the new 85,000 or 75,000 that have just been hired, get him Christ first, right? And then they wouldn't do this. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Boy, we can take uh, those applications and find them all throughout the New Testament. Those are fruits of a converted life. Those are actions of someone that's been changed from the inside out. If you'll jump down with me to verse 18, we find out that John would continue to preach, as the text says, with many other exhortations. He preached the gospel to the people. And folks, his message was religiously countercultural. Many exhortations, in addition to preaching the gospel, would have been like swimming upstream in the religious milieu of that day. And it not only affected and angered and irritated the religious people, but verse 19 of Luke 3 says, but when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because and you folks know that story if you know your Bibles well, and because of all the other wicked things which Herod had done, So John was definitely preaching against sin and that sin sin separates and sin condemns. Herod also added this to them all and he locked John up in prison. And this is why I say that he enjoyed the success that God had for him. Because the end result of the preaching of Christ and the preaching of his word may not always end up in a religious and politically satisfying way for the preacher. But it does not mean it's not God's success. Along the way, John's ministry many would be saved. But as we mentioned before, and before John was in prison, the Jews, the religious sect, was irritated by John's preaching and success too. And this is where we find John, the gospel writer, stepping in to do his reporting of this particular exclusive time of questioning that the Jews, the unbelieving religious ones, came to ask. And he begins by saying, if you go back to John chapter 1, as we conclude this morning, very very clearly this is the testimony of john this is not john the gospel writer this is the testimony of john the baptist okay the gospel writer wants every one of us to know that this is who john the baptist is and this is simply what he preached and this is what he would be known for and nothing else. Simply obeying and following the will of God according to the word of God as it was given to him. Kind of reminds me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he was defending uh, to the Corinthian believers his initial entrance to them. He said, I came to you preaching nothing else than Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I didn't come to you with crafty words of men's wisdom. I didn't come to you with dimmed lights and smoke and mirrors and, 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 and um, ingenuity. I didn't come to you with a program or a platform for religion or politics I didn't come for any of those reasons. And John the Baptist didn't appear for those reasons either. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. He would be beheaded because he stayed true to that which he was called to do by God himself. And the declaration that this is the testimony of John the Baptist by the gospel writer should encourage all of us that, that God has a will and he has a plan for you. And while it might not be growing up for 30 years in a wilderness wearing interesting clothes and eating interesting food and then having thousands come out to hear you preach In a wilderness, there there certainly is a very unique way in which God calls each one of us to be a voice. It's Matthew 28, 19, and 20, isn't it? You are to go into all the world and make disciples. You are to be a mouthpiece for Christ. As I know many of you are, are being for sure. So this is the story that John wants us to remember in relationship to the reporting on the Son of God so that we might believe. And again, John writes of John the Baptist so that unbelief would be exposed, and he writes his whole gospel of Jesus Christ so that religious unbelief would be confronted and know their danger to the hearts and minds of mankind. So if you were thinking of John the Baptist's Headstone and, and, and what should be written upon it at his post-funeral placement of that headstone. I just kind of came up with something that I would probably write on it if I was tasked with that responsibility. And it would say this, This is the testimony of John. that religious unbelief would be exposed and that others would see Jesus as the Son of God and believe on his name. Amen. That's as simple and profound and yet powerful as it gets. So, here we are for today with the passage before us. If we're to make our way through the whole text, as we will next week, you'll you'll find out something of a pattern here. As a matter of fact, if you sat down this week and and just read through this text seven to 10 times, you'd start to see this little outline emerging from the context. It's not difficult at all. As a matter of fact, um, before I preach a text, I usually read it between 15 and 25 times in one sitting, and I just kind of make notes as I read and truths begin to emerge out of the text. You start with prayer, then you do the reading, you make your notes, and you just want the Spirit of God to speak from the plain reading of the Word of God first, right? Before you dive in to hear what other people have to say about the Word of God. And this outline that I'm going to give to you was the outline that just came to me from a repetitious reading of the text. And it's simple. As a matter of fact, if you open up other books and other authors, or if you listen to other sermons on this context, you'll hear similar structure, which is also encouraging (laughs) to know that uh, there's other people that, uh, God willing, were spirit-led and saw the same pattern as well. Well, first of all, it's really simple. There's an interrogation. There's an interrogation of John the Baptist going on here. We'll dive into that this morning and the rest of the passage next week, but it's also very, very clear to see here that John's allowed to give an explanation. I mean, he asks, who are you? Are you him, him, him? And he says, no, no, no. And then they say, okay, we've got to give an answer to the religious people who sent us. Who are you? And then he's allowed to give an explanation. So there's an interrogation. There is an explanation. And then it's going to be very, very, very easy for us to see that when John speaks towards the end and we see him noticing Christ in the crowd, and that's an interesting thing we'll look at next week, how he exalts him. So there's an exaltation, there's an interrogation, there's an explanation and then there's an exaltation and it gets very very practically how this exaltation is announced preached and then how John himself applies it in verses 35 to 37 because he himself had disciples with him and he says you need to stop following me the lamb's here You need to follow him. You need to follow him. So we'll mention a little bit this morning of this interrogation. Maybe if you read this text multiple times, as you maybe already have, you've underlined these already. There's a series of questions that are asked here of John the Baptist. And they start in verse 19. When the Jews sent him... Sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. So they're coming with authority from the home office, right? From headquarters, religious headquarters. Who are you? Who are you? And then John answers them. But it's interesting that they ask him this question twice. This question bookends other questions. In both general asks, if I can say that, the first and the last ask, who are you? John immediately tells him who he's not. (laughs) He doesn't answer affirmatively. He answers passively. I am not christ because he knew it was a very messianic heightened tensions of that day of people looking for a king they wanted who was going to give birth to the king remember the story of mary when's the king going to come so for whatever reasons there's heightened expectations now that a king would come and and he wants to let them know i'm not the king it's interesting he doesn't say i'm not jesus He says, I'm not, he doesn't say, I'm not the Lord. What does he say in the text? I am not the Christ. He uses the messianic kingly name for Jesus. So right off the bat, John, the gospel writer, wants us to know that the testimony of John the Baptist was, is that there is not a king coming first. For those of you that want the king, because you need a savior before you need a ruler, I'm not the Christ. So immediately he, he tears into the, to the intellect and he tears into the conscientiousness of religious ones and, and he dethrones this idea that the throngs that are coming out to hear him preach in the wilderness and the success that he is enjoying, so to speak, would only be the success of someone who's quite kingly. And John the Baptist is saying, "Nope, I'm not dressed like a king. I don't eat like a king and I don't have a message or a platform, politically or religiously, of a king I'm not a king. I'm not the Christ. Verse 21, they ask him, what then? Are are you Elijah? The Jews believed as they had been taught. It had been written in Scripture that Elijah would return in bodily fashion before the king would arrive. And they're still on this kingly mindset and he goes, no, I already told you I'm not the Christ. Jesus isn't here to set up his kingdom on earth because his kingdom is a literal kingdom. It does take a literal king, but also takes a literal people and it takes a literal geography. And this little area of Palestine is not his geography alone, it's going to be the geography of the whole world. (laughs) So, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not here to be the precursor of the king that would come. And actually we know from this text and other texts that John the Baptist is actually much more significant than Elijah would ever be. As a matter of fact, Jesus speaks more highly of John the Baptist's prophetic ministry than any other prophet in history. And I could certainly say that he probably was the last prophet, the last finite prophet that the Jews would know, declaring the exclusive message of the gospel. He's a messenger that preaches the need for repentance and faith, the forgiveness of sins, which is necessary for anyone to enjoy the actual, literal kingdom of God in the future. So when John the Baptist says, I am not, he's proclaiming something obvious, but also keeping souls concentrated on his message at the same time. Then they ask, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? Look with me in in verse 21 and verse B. And he said, I am not. He said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, I'm not. I think you can cross-reference in the margin of your Bible here, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18 the prophet some would attribute to Moses and some would attribute to the prophet priest who would also be king Jesus himself but again still looking for a king and he says just simply no so he answers who he's not passively and then he actively answers no to they ask him who he is And so the religious, now exasperated ones, ask him in verse 22, who in the world are you, man? (laughs) All right, let's get real. We got a report to write. We got to take it back to the religious leaders. It's not good in the home office. Like, no one's serving each other coffee anymore. Everyone's angry at everybody. Everyone's wondering why our marketing plan hasn't worked. Everyone wonders why all the hits on our website and Facebook aren't getting likes. Or hits like we're losing popularity here, man. It's all going out to you in the wilderness, and dude, you're not even giving out free bottles of water to get people to come hear you preach. I gotta have an answer. Who are you? Who are you? What do you say? Listen to this. What do you say? about yourself and John commences with this explanation having concluded the time of his interrogation and I can't wait to dive into this next sunday morning all right let's pray together father in heaven we love you We're so thankful to be able to study the testimony of your faithful preacher. We're so thankful to have the opportunity to have the Spirit of God teach us much of his history, his person, and of his message. Because as we learn of those three, we learn much of his Christ, our Jesus, as we seek to make much of him as John the Baptist taught, Jesus must increase and we must decrease. I pray, Lord, as we go with these words preached this morning, that as we wake up tomorrow morning, that the Spirit of God may lead us to have thoughts about our significance in Christ and our exclusivity because he's exclusive and our joy because of the joy he's brought to our life and, and maybe we would, we would ask again that you would give us guidance as we go to our places of work and we mix and mingle with family and neighbors and people that we exercise with in the community that, that we would again be reminded that we have a message that we are a voice too. Lord, that this week, you would use us unto gospel ends. In Christ's name, amen.